Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. You're listening to the Talking OTC Commodities podcast series. Brought to you by the Global Commodities Team at EEX Group. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Talking OTC Commodities, a podcast brought to you by the EEX Group. My name is Erland Engelstad and I work on the product and business development side in the EEX Global Commodities Portfolio in Singapore. As our listeners Probably know by now, the global commodities asset class is centered around the seaborne commodities markets and in particular the freight derivatives markets. So today we'll be tackling one of the most important issues of the day really within the freight space, namely maritime fuels. Uh, Almost a year after the International Maritime Organization started enforcing a very hard 0.5% limit on sulfur content, both the supply side and the demand side have had to kind of rethink how to produce, distribute, and procure fuels for ocean-going vessels. So as an exchange with a big footprint in these freight derivatives markets, it's quite natural that we would ask ourselves, number one, how is this new paradigm affecting our clients? And number two, why at this point should EX put these markets on our radar? To help us better understand this shift and shed a little bit of light on what these changes have meant in practice, we are really lucky to have Rajesh Nair from Platts with us. Rajesh is, among other things, the managing editor for residual fuels in Asia Pacific and the Middle East. And prior to covering Asia fuel oil in 2012, Rajesh has been covering LPG for Asia Pacific and Middle Eastern markets. And he joined Platts in 2008 uh, and has covered everything from bunker fuel, gasoline, and the Platts forward curve markets as well. So first of all, hello, Rajesh, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, Alan. Good evening, and thanks for having me on this chat. Appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Well, let's jump right into it. We have a few topics to cover. Now, to give a brief backdrop on our first topic, which is the supply side, The way we understand it, uh, residual fuel oil is traditionally consumed by the maritime industry and to an extent for electricity generation and industry. But from 2020, this supply either has to be further desulfurized, it has to be utilized in vessels with scrubbers, which apparently still is a fairly low number, or blended with middle distillates, which are used for production of products like jet fuel and gas oil. So from our point of view, the world pre-2020 was in many ways much easier to understand. So I want to ask you first, Rajesh, how does this value chain for maritime fuels look today compared to 2019 and before? Yeah, hi, Alan. Yeah, that's quite an interesting one. Um, Because, 
you see, fuel oil used for power generation has uh, traditionally and globally been low sulfur fuel oil, but high sulfur fuel oil has predominantly found use as a burning fuel in Asia. Asia is indeed still the largest demand center for high sulfur fuel oil for the utility sector. Although the use of fuel oil as a burning fuel within the fuel mix has progressively declined over the years, paving the way for the use of cleaner burning fuels like LNG. Well, thank you very much, Rajesh. I just want to follow up. So is it a fair assumption to say that fuel oil has gone from being kind of a real residual or even kind of an unwanted type of commodity, whereas now it it works much more as a feedstock or a blend stock where the value is being created downstream through blending and such? Well, as I mentioned, uh, fuel oil, When I mean, in the high sulfur fuel oil uh, world that we were in till the IMO mandate kicked in, of course, you know, the, the majority of uh, high sulfur fuel oil has found use as a shipping fuel. Uh, that said, even uh, during, even as, you know, um, high sulfur fuel oil was predominantly used in uh, as a shipping fuel, we still did have, you know, use for low sulfur fuel oil, especially if you talk about countries like Japan, Korea, Taiwan, you know, we had a, a fairly large market for low sulfur fuel oil, where, uh, you know, traders would blend this product to meet uh, each country's, you know, specific demand for low sulfur fuel oil. So especially within this part of the world, we, we still had a fair amount of trades for low sulfur fuel oil. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Rajesh. Uh, I, I think that's a very fascinating uh, picture that you're painting. And I think it provides, in a way, a good uh, segue into the demand side of things, which is obviously where most of EX's clients uh, sit. Now, on the demand side, bunkering activity, as we observe it through publicly available statistics, for example, here in Singapore, has shifted quite predictably from more than 90% high sulfur fuel oil and overwhelmingly towards low sulfur. And as we know, the magnitude of that shift was always highly dependent on the differential between high sulfur fuel oil and low sulfur fuel oil. And by extension, these economics of installing these so-called scrubbers on vessels. So while that differential has not really been very favorable towards uh, new capital expenditures, uh, Rajesh, is it now safe to say that low sulfur fuel oil is becoming the mainstay fuel in the maritime industry? Uh, oh yeah, absolutely, Erland. In fact, um, the mainstay shipping fuel has indeed uh, you know, shifted from what used to be high sulfur 380 CST bunker to marine fuel bunker with a maximum 0.5% sulfur since the IMO 2020 mandate came into place from the start of the year. Um, now, in terms of pricing, uh, let me give you some context. Even before the market really started trading marine fuel 0.5%, people were looking at valuing this product, and that process started with comparing it to the then existing benchmark, which was high sulfur fuel oil. In Asia particularly, where we traditionally have had a low sulfur fuel oil outlet into the utilities market, the pricing basis has been 180 CST high sulfur fuel oil. As such, some of the initial trades, especially small volumes for testing purposes, were discussed basis a premium to 180 CST high sulfur fuel oil. However, as contracts started being discussed for supply going into end 2019 and beyond, came the need for people to hedge their physical exposure. 
But liquidity on the derivative side for marine fuel 0.5% was only just about beginning to trickle in then. And with high sulfur fuel oil poised to be displaced as the mainstay marine fuel, gas oil was seen as the cleaner fuel that could take a fair share of the marine fuels market or even be used to blend to make low sulfur fuel oil. And with ample liquidity in the gas oil derivatives market, the market started pricing marine fuel 0.5% basis gas oil uh, 0.5% basis gas oil 10 ppm. However, pricing low sulfur fuel oil basis marine fuel 0.5% has indeed been gaining traction. Asian refiners have been rather swift to adopt to MF 0.5% pricing as the benchmark to sell low sulfur material, which over time has also gained broader market acceptability. We are now clearly seeing a shift within the market both from the buyers and sellers to increasingly price low sulfur fuel oil contracts basis the marine fuel 0.5% benchmark. And for good reason too, because the underlying fundamentals of both these markets, i.e. MF 0.5% and gas oil, are vastly different. As such, the market would ideally want to avoid being exposed to the LSFO market based on fundamentals of a vastly different market, especially if there is growing confidence around liquidity in the MF 0.5% derivatives market, which has of course seen a significant growth as the year has progressed too. Um, now in terms of uh, the delivery infrastructure itself based on fuel oil specifications, the, the specification for low sulfur fuel oil is rather well defined. The only difference really is the various approaches that the market takes to blend product to that specification based on the different components that they have access to. I think we're really getting to the crux of the issue here, right? The shift from high sulfur fuel oil to low sulfur fuel oil is undisputable, but at, you know, at the same time, there's been this slow trickle of liquidity um, um, going kind of two ways, I guess. You know, well, on one side, uh, the new market of low sulfur fuel oil derivatives, but in the interim also uh, an increase in the gas oil uh, derivatives market as a proxy for low sulfur fuel oil. But now, of course, with Asian refiners coming in and starting to be proactively benchmarking their cargoes against the low sulfur fuel oil index. Now, maybe you could speak a little bit to the challenges in infrastructure and, and also in the space of specifications. Delivery infrastructure-wise, though, the only notable change, so to speak, has been the need to segregate low sulfur from high sulfur. And that is primary also, primarily also one of the reasons why contrary to initial market perception that the high sulfur fuel oil market would succumb to an industry transitioning to a low sulfur world, the high sulfur fuel oil market has indeed emerged as a niche and a rather high margin trade, especially on the end user bunker market side of things, where volumes have no doubt, no doubt dwindled, but so also has the number of suppliers and the delivery infrastructure to support the much smaller market and, and that is essentially one of the main reasons as you as you called, called, called that out the spread between high, low sulfur fuel oil and high sulfur fuel oil whilst it started the year at a massive $330 or so has sort of you know narrowed to in the recent months trade between 60 to $70 metric ton levels and even if you look at the forward curve going down to at least the first quarter of 2022 we are still only seeing the spread uh, widen out to about $85, $89, or $85 to $90 as per 
where we are assessing that spread going all the way out to the first quarter of 2022. So yes, in terms of the, the, the economics that, you know, ship owners had planned for um, retrofitting or, you know, having their new bills fitted with scrubbers, that a large section, I would imagine, of the ship owners would have, you know, worked out those economics based on a spread of about $150 or thereabouts. So from that standpoint, yes, the, 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 the return on investment is going to be a little bit longer. And as such, you know, we are, you know, not necessarily seeing the kind of growth in, scrub, in, in scrubber adoption rates as we would have expected going into 2020 as we speak currently. In fact, we have had analysts uh, revise down the sort of growth in um, scrub, scrubber adoption rates, you know, going into 2022 and beyond. This is incredibly interesting, Rajesh. Uh, I did see a chart produced by Platts which tried to illustrate the uh, diminishing returns on having scrubbers installed on the vessels. I think the the starting point for a cape size was somewhere in the region of fourteen thousand dollars per day of a of a of a cost saving. Whereas, uh, you know, by the by October this year, we saw uh, benefits only amounting to maybe around four thousand dollars or so per day. So obviously, that that picture has changed um, uh, changed quite a bit. Uh, and as it as regards scrubber uh, penetration, uh, the latest numbers we have seen are are relatively low with uh, with numbers around 4% uh, or thereabout on the on the total dry bulk fleet with obviously a higher number in the in the larger ship segments um i just did some back of the envelope calculations and just based on 2020 volumes you could quite safely imply that there is more than 15 million metric tons of fuel oil just on EX's clients' books. And that's only based on their hedged freight exposure. So now let's look at price discovery in the fuel oil market. So you guys at Platts started assessing this specification quite some time ago in anticipation of these uh, IMO regulations. Uh, you also started assessing a low sulfur fuel oil bunker benchmark, which obviously could be very useful to the freight market. So I want to ask you, Rajesh, when did you start assessing this 0.5% fuel oil cargo assessment? And how has the activity in the e-window developed for, for Platz's assessments of, uh, of low sulfur fuel oil? Sure, Alan. Yeah, and that's a very interesting and a very valid question as well. So before I jump into that, let me just, uh, you know, um, briefly say that, you know, Platt's assessments are underpinned by the market on close assessment methodology process, where demonstrable bids, offers and trades reported through the MOC process inform our assessment uh, methodology, right? That said, Platt's launched marine fuel 0.5% cargo and barge assessments globally, from January 2019. Now that's a full year before the IMO mandate was implemented. We have had participation in the Asia MOC process from day one of the launch of this assessment from a variety of companies, including oil majors. The market, of course, started trading this product only much later going into 2019. And initial trades for Singapore Marine Fuel 0.5% cargo were reported in the Platts MOC process only from September 2019 onwards. Participation in the Asia fuel oil MOC process 
continued to be absolutely robust. Since trading began going into the fourth quarter of 2019, we have so far had over 3.25 million metric tons of marine fuel 0.5% cargo traded in the PLAT's MOC process. On the derivative side though, liquidity, both MOC participation-wise and volumes reported through the MOC process itself, began gaining traction only towards the end of 2019. And for good reason too, because the market only started trading physical low sulfur fuel oil going into the back half of the fourth quarter of 2019. That's it, marine fuel 0.5% swaps liquidity in the MOC process has gained traction and remain robust in terms of both participation and volume traded. Marine fuel 0.5% derivatives traded in the Platts MOC itself has gone from less than an average of 100,000 metric tons per month since trades began in the fourth quarter of last year to average well over half a million metric tons per month so far this year. Um, now, just to you know, touch a little bit upon the specifications and the tolerance, as I mentioned earlier, that the specification itself is rather very well defined. All of Platt's fuel oil cargo, barge and bunker assessments, including marine fuel 0.5%, confirm to specifications as defined by the ISO 8217-2010 document for RMG fuels. For marine fuel 0.5% cargo and bunker assessments, the specifications confirm to ISO 2010 specs for RMG fuels, but with a maximum sulfur limit of 0.5% sulfur. Now, based on our understanding that a significant range of ship owners required minimum viscosity guarantees in their bunker purchases, Platts added a minimum viscosity of 30 CST at 50 degrees Celsius to all of its global marine fuel 0.5% assessments including cargoes, barges and bunker from April 1, 2020. As for Platt's LSFO assessments within Asia, we have marine fuel 0.5% cargo assessments in Singapore and Fujairah. The FOB Singapore marine fuel 0.5% cargo assessment reflects bids, offers and trades for 20,000 to 40,000 metric ton cargoes loading 15 to 30 days from the date of publication. Now on the end user low sulfur bunker market side of things, we launched IMO compliant bunker fuel assessments globally from July 2019. In Asia, we have delivered low sulfur bunker fuel assessments, including low sulfur marine gas oil assessments in all of the key bunkering locations like Singapore, Fujairah, Japan, South Korea, Hong Kong, and China. We also have XWOF marine fuel 0.5% bunker assessments or barge assessments in Singapore and Fujairah. Rajesh, thank you so much for that. That is a very good explanation of, of the assessments that Platts currently uh, currently offer. I think the important thing to note for, for our clients, uh, and, and I think one of the topics in the market as well, is that the cargo indices and the, the, the verde bunker indices obviously have other features than simply the size component of it, as Rajesh explains uh, very clearly. One obviously carries a delivery premium that stems from, from splitting up cargoes into individual bunker stems. Uh, but there's obviously also some of these time components to it, which adds to the basis risk when you are choosing your hedging tool. So thanks a lot for that, Rajesh. Um, I want to take you uh, even deeper into this derivative space where we, we work 
uh, as you know, there's often a very straight line between the adoption of these underlying benchmarks, and you've certainly made the case for the, um, the indices that PLATs produce. Uh, the adoption of derivatives trading typically comes on the back of that, um, uh, uh, that trading activity. And this, of course, makes sense as clients would like to hedge using the same pricing as their bunker purchases. So while it's anyone's guess how low sulfur fuel oil derivatives will develop, uh, and Rajesh has uh, certainly uh, given us a very optimistic picture. There seems to be a very definite need to couple a consolidated physical benchmark market uh, with a robust derivatives market. So I want to ask you a little bit, Rajesh, how soon can we see the low sulfur fuel oil benchmark be the default pricing mechanism for the likes of bunker clauses and as a reference point for floating price purchases? Yeah, um, that that's a good one, um, Erlen. Now I I wish you know it, it's not necessarily uh, you know that we don't have necessarily what what we could you know look at as a cutoff date where you know the market would decide okay from that date onwards you know we all going to you know switch to uh, low sulfur pricing basis. So it is of course an ongoing and an evolutionary process. Uh, you see, and we have and we are seeing that happen as we speak. Uh, just, to, just to give you an example, what you know, in our discussions with the market, what we are observing, especially in Singapore, a fair share of the discussions for contracts coming up for 2021, we hear are being discussed basis marine fuel 0.5% benchmark pricing. Roughly, we understand that the market has now moved to almost a 50-50 split in terms of pricing basis marine fuel 0.5% and gas oil, which up until the recent past was of course tilted very heavily towards gas oil now this itself is a, is a clear testimony to the consolidation of the marine fuel 0.5% benchmark so that's a good point uh, rajesh the, uh, the the way we see it as well obviously observing from the outside and in the the singapore market for example what we have seen in the low sulfur fuel oil market is um i think about 17 million tons today, about uh, thereabouts in open interest, whereas the high sulfur fuel oil market that we, we used to look at uh, traded around 150 million tons per month. So obviously, you know, things take time. Uh, we, we would obviously expect this, this change to happen gradually and probably at the back of this increased adoption uh, in the physical market that you're explaining. So uh, rounding off a bit, you know, it seems to me that we are at a very exciting point in the new market dynamic that IMO really pushed through. And we know that this landscape is going to get increasingly complex uh, as we see new fuels and new technologies placed into the market ahead of new targets on CO2 and greenhouse gas uh, coming up in the, uh, in the next couple of decades. So everything we've heard from Rajesh today suggests that there's there's really a lot of untapped potential. And, and in addition, it also presents a lot of service gaps that EEX should probably consider. So I want to thank you so much, Rajesh, for joining us today. I think you've managed to illuminate a lot of important issues in this episode. And we look forward to having you back. And with that, I want to thank all our listeners for tuning in. And on behalf of EX Global Commodities team, we wish you all a very Merry Christmas and a great new year. 
Please follow us on social media, like and subscribe our channels, and we will see you next time on EX's Talking OTC Commodities in January. And until then, thank you and stay safe. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.